This week we have our projects of the week um, where I talk about the management blog that I found and Bina talks about WebAssembly for Swift. Um, other than that, we actually talk about non-programming related things like our interests, um, where I talk about watches and more, and Bina about music and more. Um, and then we quickly touch on the topic that's next, which is WWDC. This is Controvariance. My project of the week isn't necessarily a project, um, although you could call a blog a project, right? Yeah, you could call a blog a project. I mean, it's something somebody is working on. Exactly. So I recently, and I don't actually know why only recently, but I recently started following Kate Huston. And she's also been doing emceeing for TriSwift, where I've met her a few times. Uh, and she's a wonderful human. And she has a great blog. Uh, she's an engineering manager at Automatic. And she has some really great posts as well as tweets uh, on the subject. And it's been really interesting to, to see those. Uh, and I think it's been really helpful to get some perspective on, on such a role. Um, what does she write about in general? Is it more technical or is it uh, more in general about her role at Automatic? Yeah, definitely more, more general. So it's not necessarily technical. Uh, it's more of a manager level in a technical field. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not any, anything related to iOS. So she, she writes as a manager level for people in the not manager level, basically explaining what it's like, or is it from managers for managers? I think both, mm -hmm. right? So uh, I'm obviously not a manager, and I think it's really interesting to, to see that perspective because um, I think we can also learn a lot from, from those kind of topics mm -hmm. uh, and see a different perspective. So I think both, definitely. Mm -hmm. Does she uh, does she update a lot? Um, she tweets a lot, <laughs> and I haven't like I haven't really followed followed her for that long, so I don't know how often she blogs. But I think you know mm -hmm. pretty pretty often, pretty frequently. That's interesting. Do you do you have something in mind like one topic that she recently wrote about that excited you excited you that you found really interesting and helpful? Uh, she recently wrote on like how to fix a team. So really to like a, a step by step plan on like, mm. hey, if there is a problem within your team, how do you best tackle uh, or how do you how do you look at starting to fix the team? Um, and I think that was really, really interesting. Hmm. I mean, that's also useful information if you're not in a manager level position, right? Because most of us are working in a team. And if something isn't right there, it might be good to know kind of how to do what about that? Or even just how to, to see something is wrong and then talk to people about it. Yeah, exactly. So it's really useful. Right? Like it's a team. And obviously we are part of a team. It's not mm -hmm. just the manager, not just the product owner. It's a team. Yes, everybody. <laughs> right? So I think that's, that's super helpful to, yeah. to read about. Yeah, nice. Sounds like a good pick. The link will probably be in the show notes if people are interested. It um, will definitely be in the show okay. notes. If you don't forget it. Um, my pick... This week is much more technical, and I couldn't resist. Um, I, I already. I'm not surprised, Bina. <laughs> I I already tweeted about it. I'm really excited about it. So um, a group of people um, started working on WebAssembly support for Swift, which I find really, really, really exciting. It's one of the things that 
Rust had for quite a while now, and I really missed doing Swift because it opens so many opportunities that aren't weren't there before. Now it's not merged yet; it's a pull request. You can look at the pull request. Um, there's a lot of discussion about it, and it still misses a lot of things. But it's reached a stage where um, within, I would say, the next couple of weeks to month, I would guess, it will probably hit Swift. And then we have WebAssembly support, which is really exciting. And you can already start using it um, if you check out their special build of Swift. Yeah, I was about to say, I think I saw, like when I saw this tweet announcing it, it was like, should I send it to Bin now or will I just let him like see it? <laughs> and then like a few minutes later, you tweeted about it. And I was like, yep. Yeah, I was by luck because this weekend I was really busy. I was not online for most of the weekend, but I saw that. I was on a train and I just opened Twitter. I scrolled around I was like, oh, wait, whoa. <laughs> and otherwise it would have been a nice surprise after the weekend, of course. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I mean, I did not have time to actually dive into it because I was busy the whole weekend. Um, so I, I have limited information on how detailed it already is. But I looked at the pull request. I looked at some of the changes and the discussions online. And I found it really exciting. Now, for those that don't really know what WebAssembly is about um, is that um, WebAssembly is a way of compiling native code such as Swift, Rust, C, C++ um, or other languages to a um, representation that can be run in the browser next to JavaScript. So instead of developing a web app, um, a full patch web app, for example, or anything really in JavaScript, you could write it in WebAssembly. Now, it's not entirely that easy because WebAssembly is really safe. It's running in a sandbox and currently doesn't have access to a lot of things that you take for granted in the browser, like um, the DOM, the DOM, uh, document object model or other things. So you can't access that, but um, there are ways to do that. So there you can write wrappers that allow you to do that, which is what other languages already have, which will probably come to Swift very soon. And then you can actually run, um, instead of writing a um, your web app, as I said, in JavaScript, you can write it in Swift and it doesn't compile to JavaScript. It compiles to a high performance WebAssembly. The major downside right now, and this affects everybody, is that WebAssembly is only supported in modern browsers. So if somebody is running a really old browser, then this won't run. So you can't write basically a, um, a JavaScript, a WebAssembly app in Swift and expect your grandma to use it on their Windows XP system. <laughs> I hope I hope even your grandma doesn't like <laughs> any grandma out there doesn't still use Windows XP, but you never know. So, um, but apart from that, um, it's really exciting, and this is the future in many ways. So, and it's really cool that Swift is finally moving in that direction. And this is a bad finally because it's a lot of work. It, it's just fantastic. Um, but you can already try it out on their website, right? Yeah, yeah. You can, you can. They even have example code that you can run. So you could, you write some code and in a in a text box, and then you click run, and, and then actually what happens is that code is sent to the server to compile it to WebAssembly, and then it's pushed back to the browser and executed in your browser. Right. So you can do stuff there. Um, but then I have one question as well. Like you have this project already, right? Like they have their website. What does the pull request do? Like where is it going to be merged, and what does that allow, and how? How's that going to be used? So right now, you have to download a separate version of Swift because their pull request is not done. They, a couple of things don't work yet. As I remember, throwing closures are not supported yet because the internal representation in LLVM is a bit tricky. Mm -hmm. um, and a couple of other things don't work yet. But for most of what Swift offers, you can already play around with it. And the website and the pull request is mostly to sh show people how far it has come and excite more people to help out with the final things. 
So at some point in the future, it should be hopefully merged into mainline Swift. And that means that every Swift that is then rolled out can compile to WebAssembly as an additional target. So WebAssembly is a target like um, you can write Swift code and then you can emit um, ARM code from there or you can commit um, or x86, for example. Um, and with this, you can also emit WebAssembly code. Okay, so today we tried to do something really different um, because DubDub is coming up and DubDub will explode with a lot of topics and a lot of things to talk about. And we decided to take a step back and talk about something less technical in this episode um, and hopefully le less technical, but I don't know yet. Um, we will talk about the interests that the two of us have that are not related to what we usually talk about on Contravariance. Do you want to add to that, Buzz? I well definitely I mean we talked about it right so um what I want to bring up and this might not surprise all of you that are listening because some of you know me um I like watches um I like watches a lot and especially especially mechanical watches and it all started not so long ago I think um end of 2017 so that's like one and a half years ago uh, my brother actually like sent me a photo of a watch and said like hey do you like this and I was like I can I can get used to this and then I end up ended up buying the watch and ever since then I've been like into mechanical watches and learning more about them and I guess it's become a bit of an obsession but it's like a super interesting topic and a super interesting world almost uh that you can easily like not be aware of um but once you get into that it's it's a really interesting community and really interesting to to learn about so that first watch that your brother showed you um what was in a way outstanding about it that you thought okay i want because i remember you you also already had an apple watch back then right so what was the exciting part about this watch that your brother showed you that made you think oh this is something i want to have that right so i think i need to take a bit of a step back i had like the watch i'm wearing today actually uh it's not a mechanical watch um but that was the watch i had before the apple watch okay and it's already a bit interesting because it's the it's a watch that does the same thing as the clocks on uh on a train station or many train stations where the second hand actually runs around in 58 seconds then stops at zero for two seconds and then the minute hand will uh, advance to the next minute and the minute hand other than that is uh, stationary um, and I guess right it's already quite, kind of an interesting mm -hmm. watch and uh, when did that happen like five years before that or something where I saw it in a store and I was like that's really cool that's really cool I mean it, you don't need it but it's really cool and, and I think at that point I decided hey I want to buy this watch uh, before that, I had another watch, um, and I was really happy with that. Then the Apple Watch came out, used the Apple Watch for about a year straight, um, had like the activity goal uh, filled that, or, or like made that work for a year straight, so I filled all the rings like for a year long. Um, and then I started having some issues with it, having, having to go to Apple, like the issues are a longer story. Um, but like I had to like, it had to be repaired for about a week, so I couldn't wear it. And the funny thing was, having wear, worn it for 
day, like day in day out since day one, I didn't really miss it. The only thing that I could see, like that I did sometimes, is like swipe down from the from the top of my watch, which obviously obviously doesn't work if it's not an Apple Watch. Surprise, surprise. Um, and that gave me this feeling of like, hey, why do I need this thing, right? Um, so like one year later, still having issues. Uh, it became a bit of a chore to like keep just basically informing Apple of like, hey, I've done another walk, I've done another run, I've done another this, I've done another that. And that I got a bit bored of it. Um, then this watch came up and it was just a really nice watch, really nice strap, uh, really nice color. And it just spoke to me. I liked it. Just like the like the first watch that I'm that I'm wearing today. And then like someone else that I know was interested in an Apple Watch. And I was like, okay, I mean, if I'm not really enjoying it anymore, then I can do them a favor, uh, like selling the Apple Watch. And then, you know, now I had this other watch and I basically moved away from the Apple Watch. Okay. So you were talking about how the um, how it's turned into an obsession for you. Does this mean that um, you, you buy magazines about watches and then you look at different watches at very high price, what I presume are very high price points? Or um, is it more that... Um, no, I don't know. How do you how do you define the obsession? I, <laughs> I mean, I can't think of anything else. J just to just to get into that, yes, it's very easily a very pricey hobby. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't have to be, but if you go into high end watchmaking, yes, I mean that ranges from a few thousands or a bit less, but a few thousands to millions mm -hmm. if you really want to. Right? So, I don't want to. I, I can't. You know, doesn't so, work. But so in terms of IMAX, it's from one IMAX to around 500 IMAX is the price range. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say that because uh, in the past I always had, like, I always compared things to computers. Like, mm -hmm. hey, I can buy five laptops from that. And it was always funny. So, yes. <laughs> okay. Well, one Mac Pro. You're past me. Um, so, yeah, totally. Like, it's it's an expensive hobby. Um but yes, I'm also buying like buying magazines, uh, specifically the Hodinkee magazine, which is also a website, mm -hmm. and they're really cool. Uh, I bought some books also on watchmaking itself, so mm -hmm. learning about how a watch is made, um, and that's been really interesting. And and I think part of what maybe helps others understand that as well is like if you look at a watch, it's not that big, right? And in a mechanical watch, there can be like three hundred to like six hundred different parts in one movement in one watch and now look again at your wrist and, and the watch on your wrist there is not much, much room for that mm. and it's all mechanical right so it all runs without any computer or any any you know anything driving it other than gravity and and that's super cool how many watches mechanical do you own um at the moment i have two uh so not that many or you know mm. Depends on who you're talking to. Um, <laughs> and I'm planning to, to buy one more uh, this year. And after that, there's probably going to be like quite a long pause. Um, but I'll still be, be interested in, in looking at, mm. at other watches, of course. But you also wear them, right? It's not like I know some people buy them as an investment and they place them somewhere and are afraid of having scratches on them. So if you buy one of these expensive watches, you would also wear them in public. Well. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so I don't see it as an investment uh, and I would definitely wear them. Like if I don't wear them, there is no point. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, imagine 
you were not Buzz Brook, but you were born in, born in Switzerland as Bastian Brocke. And <laughs> do you think you would have ended up in watchmaking? Um, I mean, I would know. Uh, I guess not. I don't know. The, the, the reason for that is there's nothing keeping me from getting into watchmaking. Uh, also as a Dutch person, right? Um, but like I said, I only started getting into this mm -hmm. like one and a half years ago. So I think that's like the deal breaker. Otherwise, sure. No, I mean, uh, if you were born in Switzerland, maybe you might have been exposed to everything much at a much younger age. And so um, that would have changed the likelihood of you finding it interesting and ending in, uh, up into watchmaking. So yeah, sure. I mean, you f my, the, the reverse question would be, um, is, it, is that something you find interesting enough that you in a different world think you would do? Oh, definitely. Okay. Definitely. Mm -hmm. um, I mean... Also in Switzerland, like there's a lot more and a lot more, uh, many more beautiful things in Switzerland. So sure, you might be exposed to it a bit more, but uh, but I'm not sure. But yeah, definitely. If I would have gotten into it earlier, mm. I could see myself going there. Okay. So what about you, Boehner? Um So I, I try to find things that I'm really interested in and um, I try to find specific things that are not about computers and also things that um, I've done for quite some time because there are a lot of things I found interesting for one or two years and then never did again, like watching a lot of StarCraft videos for a time, for example. I don't do that anymore. Um, and the, the first thing that came to mind that I've been doing for a really long time since 1995 is um, doing electronic music on a computer. Since, so. since I was born. <laughs> Basically, yes. <laughs> While you were in the womp, I was creating music. Um, it started actually with, um, I was, I was young and I was, as some of you might know, I was born right next to the Dutch border, right next to uh, the Dutch city of Enschede, which is, um, compared to where I was living, rather populous. So they had around, I think, 300,000 people and my city had around 3,000. And so, so you were born right next to Strobafels. Yeah. And a and, lot of and, and Hagelslag. Yes. And a lot of other <laughs> Dutch things. And so since there was in the vicinity on the German side, there was no big city. So my, my parents would always drive to, to the to Enschede at least twice a week for shopping. And I would always join. And they had all this stuff, imported stuff, anime, manga and stuff like that. And at one point I bought a, a disc, uh, a, a computer disc that was called Inside Multimedia. And it was just packed with I think they downloaded random stuff from MTP service and put it on a disc and sold it. Since I did not have internet access, this was really exciting. And on there, <laughs> I found a software that was called Trackers, Music Trackers. Some of you might know what that is. So usually when you compose music, um, you do it with sheets. Um, and this was a much more programmer-oriented, uh, mechanical way, where you um, where you basically enter notes a bit like in a text editor, like in a code editor. And um, what, excited, what was exciting for me was there were a couple of Dutch people that created um, replicas of music that was currently in the charts and they in th these editors basically and that those were also on the disc so i could open tracks that i was hearing on the chart and modify them like edit them that's really cool and that was really exciting to me and um, that's how i got into it so i had not much knowledge about music so i started to, to basically understand things as i went along um, and I just continued doing it. Um, at some point, obviously, I, I switched away from trackers and started using Cubase and then Logic Audio over the years. And I also had pauses in between. Um, 
I did a lot until 2005, and then I stopped doing any music for uh, five years. Then I did it again in 2013 for a time, stopped again, and recently started again. So it's been an, an up and down. But for from 1995 to 2005, I did it almost daily. Wow. Yeah. But so like you said, there wasn't really anything like you didn't buy any books or any references on like how to get you started. You just got started. I just got started. At some point, a couple of years later, I bought a book about music theory and never read it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And I think your music is still online. Where can people find it? So there is um, on SoundCloud. I I have a music project called Sarbatka, which is there's a long history to that name that I'm not going into. Um, <laughs> and there you can find the music. Um, and I also used to do, um, back in the day, I did remixes of video game music. So if you like video game music, like, for example, from Zelda, um, so I did a remix, a, a rave remix of the Kakariko theme of A Link to the Past. Oh, I should definitely <laughs> listen to that. <laughs> I'm intrigued. And so things like that, they are still available on uh, Overclocked Remix, which is a remix website. Um, and I, I did a lot of, of stuff, basically. I actually even ended up on a, a on an actual disc that was sold um, on wow. two, two, actually. Uh, it was called Square Dance, and it, those were remixes of music from Final Fantasy from and Chrono Trigger from Square. It was called Square Dance, and I was on there, I think, with two tracks. So, But that was all a long time ago. I really enjoyed it. And as, and now it's just a small hobby. I sold most of my synthesizer gear. I actually had synthesizers, hardware stuff. Um, I sold most of it. I have one left, and from time to time I, I play around. But it's um, it's a bit less of a hobby, but I still enjoy doing it. That's great. And like, what is the most fun about it? Is it creating the music? Is it like being able to show off like share the music with others or like what what makes it what makes it really great for you or um, is it everything yeah it's a mix of everything and not so much the sharing most of what i did i never shared i only share when i'm really really confident about a track um but most of the stuff i don't it's the um it's a very iterative process for me. I take something small and from there I mess around with it. I add stuff and, and so on. And uh, I always do it emotionally. So I, I, I listen to it constantly and then change it, change it until it grows into something big. And it's very relaxing. I think I like the relaxing approach about it. I, I, I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> if it's relaxing, that, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Is it something you get like, uh, inspiration for or does that come by the iterative, iterative approach? Um, the inspiration part I do have, but um, I, I'm not good at taking what I have in mind and converting it to, into something that you can actually listen to. Right. So usually I, I try doing, doing that and I end up with something entirely different. <laughs> but that can also lead to something entirely different. That works, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Usually in the end, something comes out. So nice. it's not always good, but um, yeah, something comes out. I also recently started... Um, working on my own electronic music tools to that because I mean as a developer these are things we can solve right um, which is also really interesting because now I can create weirder sounds basically I could have <laughs> done that in the past but this is much easier with Swift but that's a detour um, yeah so this is uh, one thing uh, what about you Buzz do you have more I mean I have some more I mean last episode we went into baking uh, so I won't expand on that today um, but yeah, baking and, and cooking are definitely some of my, my hobbies. Um, and another one that I wanted to mention is coffee. Mm -hmm. So it's funny as well, because like many people see coffee as like, oh, I need my coffee in the morning, right? Because otherwise, like you, just now. Yeah, I'm just drinking one. Um, otherwise, I feel like I can't get 
enough done during the day or I feel tired or whatever. Um, I don't. I just like coffee. So I drink coffee when I'm at home. I have a nice uh, machine. But if I'm on holiday and there's no coffee machine, I don't drink coffee for two weeks and it's totally fine. Um, yesterday I went bouldering in the evening and I got back at like 10.30 or so. And I turned on the coffee machine because I wanted to have another coffee and I drink another coffee, I go to bed and I sleep, right? Which is also something people say like, hey, I can't sleep after a cup of coffee. And that's not the case. Um, not the case for you. Not the case for me, yes. of course. Um, so yeah, that's also something I, we bought a good machine at home like five, six, seven years ago now or whatever, like quite a while ago. Um, so then you get into like good coffee, beans, grinding them, um, and yeah, it's, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, and also that you go into like latte art and like just interesting, like getting to know more and different different uh, coffee beans. Um, so yeah, I also see that as quite a fun hobby. But it's also like it has its well, I wouldn't say negatives, but like to the to the point where it's like, hey, I don't really mind not having coffee. So I want good coffee. Which has also led me to like in these one and a half years that I've been exing or so, I've never ever even tried the coffee at work. Yeah, it's not the best. I mean, <laughs> actually, the beans are really good, but the machines are not. And so yeah, but like I, I haven't even tried because it's more of a like, hey, I mean, I can mm. get some at home. I don't really need it during the day, and if I really want to, then I take the time and grab a coffee from a coffee place nearby. Mm. Uh, when you say coffee, you also always refer, refer to cappuccino, right? Yeah, actually, yeah. like. I mean, sure, I drink coffee without milk if it's, like, offered to me. Um, but I definitely prefer, like, more of a cappuccino or um, or more of a flat white. Mm. But, yeah. Do you inform yourself on the beans, for example? Do you find to try single orange and beans from a specific area? I, I heard that um, currently Panama is known to have the best beans on the world. And it's really expensive to buy these beans, but they are so high quality. Is that something you dive into or is it more the process of creating the coffee on the machine? That yeah, def you? definitely the, 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 the latter, right? Like mm. it's fun to make coffee. Um, and then I haven't really gotten into it, maybe because, you know, I've gone to a few good coffee places and it's more of like, hey, I like this bean. Can mm. you do you mm. sell it as well? Mm. Um, so that's also one of the reasons that I'm drinking coffee mostly from Louvain at the moment. Mm. Uh, so this is something where I worked for a summer in 2016. Um, uh, and we went to a coffee place there and I liked that coffee. And luckily, I still have a friend living mm. in, in Louvain. So basically, every time I go to the Netherlands uh, and we meet up, we try to meet up. Uh, so either he comes to the Netherlands or I go to, to Belgium. And then, you know, it's like, yeah, can you get me like four kilograms of coffee? <laughs> so if you you have your private uh, coffee dealer. Exactly. And like my mom and my brother also really love it. So basically. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's a family deal. Exactly. Nice. I think at one point they joked like, hey, are you like starting like a competitor? Because then you should maybe not buy our beans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Do you have anything else, Bene? Yes. So this is something that um, is a twofold hobby, let's call it. Um, I'll start briefly with the first part, but that leads to the second part. So the first part, I like to travel. My girlfriend and I, we travel a lot. I just uh, counted them. I've been to 43 countries now. Um, and I had hoped to uh, to reach 50 this year, but that's not possible anymore. Um, but I guess it will be by end next year, I will probably have hit the 50. Um, now, that's still only... In, only the brief part of all the countries in the world. 
but it's, I'm still excited to have seen so much of the world. Um, and we try to travel a couple of times a year to, to different places and so on. Um, but what we do there is what I want to talk about. So this is something we both do. So it, it's a shared hobby with my girlfriend. Um, but what we do is we like to go to supermarkets in countries that we've never been to, where we probably don't speak the language and sometimes can't read the signs and check out their food stuff and try to find weird things that we don't have at home that maybe hopefully know what it could be and then buy it and try it out and so we do that a lot and by a lot i mean recently we were in hong kong and i think all in all in a week we spent i would say 12 hours in supermarkets over a week <laughs> roughly because there were so many great supermarkets in hong kong really really great supermarkets and so we went to so many and looked at so many different things and um, we bought so many weird things. Uh, so in Hong Kong, for example, there's a very popular fish sausage snack. So you buy it's so, small sausages that are made somehow from fish. At least there are fish icons on it. And um, and then you, you eat them like like a snack. And they taste kind of weird. Um, and there there's a lot of other things that we, over the years, um, found in different supermarkets that you can't buy here in Germany or in Europe, for that matter, for example. there's uh, in, in Sri Lanka, we found um, the biggest banana of the world so usually bananas uh, the big bananas that you have they are um, cooking bananas that you use for uh, they they are plain uh, plantains usually they, they they are like potatoes um but they had a sweet banana that was huge i will maybe we'll add a picture to it it was <laughs> really really huge it's the world's biggest i think it can grow to close to one meter i was told but so so they're crazy um B banana for scale yes <laughs> Um, so that, that was interesting. Um, and that's something we, we really enjoy doing. But I mean, that's totally plausible because I can, can imagine going to like a country you've never been to and it's like a bit of a bigger grocery store. You can definitely get lost for about an hour there yeah. easily. And you learn a lot about the culture, but just by going into a supermarket and, and seeing how the people interact there, the kind of products they have, um, and other things. And in, in Vietnam, I remember in most of the supermarkets, the, the music that was playing over the speakers, was very loud and fast techno music. It was like boom, 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 boom. constantly in a supermarket. <laughs> weird. And it was usually it was 90s style German techno music too. And I was it was really weird. It was I took a couple of videos back then because the experience was so weird. <laughs> That's very specific. But now the most important question of all: In what country do you not experience the law of standing in the wrong line at the checkout? <laughs> <laughs> um. I can't say that that ever happened. What what happened is that checkouts in different supermarkets are very very different because you know in the I think it's in the Netherlands where when a new line opens then the people that stand at the back of the other line uh, that no that stood kind of further apart uh, in the in the long line they they are allowed to go first something like that. So in Germany it's not like that when a new when a new register opens, everybody just goes there. And I was, uh, we were being taunted in the Netherlands back when I was a kid because we're, we were doing it wrong, apparently. <laughs> so um, every um, every country has different ways of how the register works, which is also really interesting. But no, I, I can't, don't have a reply to your question. Hmm. And here I would have hoped you would. No, do you have another one? Um, we can quickly go into golf. Go for it. Uh, so this is also a relatively new hobby that I started three years ago now, I think, or a bit less even. Um, and 
there is something magical about golf and I miss it dearly because since I've moved to Germany, it's a bit hard because I don't really have a car. It's normally not as easy to reach a golf course uh, like by train because they're not like they're a bit far further away from like a city center, of course. Um, but luckily, I was really, ha- uh, really happy to have golfed yesterday, actually. Mm, nice. Um, because my mom and my brother came over uh, and they took the golf, um, my golf clubs and, and they were by car. Uh, so we went golfing yesterday. And what I really like about it is basically a plethora of things. Um, first of all, you're always with people around you. Uh, and you can basically have a laugh, talk, uh, enjoy each other's company. Um, and then most of the time there's nice weather. Uh, <laughs> that helps. And then, you know, you do a bit of sports, uh, you walk around, you see the course, which is most of the time super beautiful. Um, and you just you just have a lot of fun. And that's also what it's about for me. Like, it's about the fun. I'm not the greatest golfer, especially now that I'm, you know, if I'm lucky, I get to golf like once a month on average, mm-hmm. which is you can't I can't improve. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. I only play golf briefly, so I, I have very limited knowledge about this sport. But when you when you go and do it, um, how long does it take? Like a session of golf, like when, when people play soccer, for example, I think it takes like 90 minutes or something. Um, I mean, yeah, for soccer, I think it depends also on like on how old you are. Basically, I played soccer as a really small kid. And I think you start with like twice 20 minutes, obviously. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, somehow i mean it depends right it depends on how much you do um but if you walk like an 18 hole course uh expected to take around four hours okay Um, so this is not something you do after work this is something that you do at the weekend yeah i mean like i said this is like a full course doing uh, 18 holes right um but at our home course in the netherlands like we much more often just do like nine holes mm-hmm. uh, so then it takes about two hours and mm-hmm. then you can do it like after dinner in mm-hmm. in summer or or before breakfast i guess if you if you get it really early um and then it takes a bit less time and obviously you can sometimes just go to do some practice uh go to the driving range and mm-hmm. you can stay for an hour so it really depends but if you do like the full round yeah It's about four hours. Is is golf something you play against somebody, or is it you could just go for yourself and try to, to to get through the course fast, or is it you play against your brother, for example? I mean, you can do that, and there is like that's actually really cool because there is a system in place. Basically, and my brother has a lot more experience. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more time to go golfing. Is a lot better than me. <laughs> um, but there is a system in place that basically allows you to compete against each other, even if you have different levels of experience. So a handicap system. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly um so normally we don't really do that especially us two like i'm it's also different because my brother uh has fun when he plays good (laughs) when he gets results and i'm just having fun Mm -hmm. so like yeah that doesn't really work and we don't really do that but you can definitely play against each other and and obviously like in in tournaments that's what you do okay that sounds interesting um i have one left all right that is chocolate um huge fan together with my girlfriend again of um high quality chocolate and this means usually um chocolate is measured into how much cacao 
in percentage part, how much of the the bar that you have is actually pure cacao. And so when when you have a um, bitter ch chocolate, a dark chocolate, usually that's seventy percent, and we go for ninety and up. So ninety percent, ninety five percent, ninety nine percent, one hundred percent, and um, in in these. Chocolates, the, the taste is very different. It's a very intense chocolate taste um, or, or cacao taste. And the uh, taste varies widely based on from which origin the beans come. Are the beans a pure single origin or are they then blended? Um, and also when were the beans harvested? So, for example, we have one favorite chocolate that is single origin. And every year the new harvest taste is entirely different because it depends on how much sun they they got and how much they were watered and, and other factors that influence them. And then you can also taste, well, my girlfriend can that. I'm, I'm not, my taste buds not, are not good enough. But um, <laughs> you supposedly can also taste if, for example, they grew up together with berries that were growing close to them because that that taste becomes part of the um of the bean right and we've um we do have a list that we that we share where we um where we review every chocolate that we taste and we have 170 entries in there oh wow so 170 high quality chocolates i would say 85 percent and up is what it ends up on this list uh, that we reviewed um for all, all over the world and together with all traveling it's we all ha have a lot of non-european chocolate like stuff for example from vietnam or hong kong on that list that we that we bought while we were there that you can't really buy here um, and it's also something we always look for when we are in one of these supermarkets because they always have a chocolate part and so we always look for that and then we also go to specific places where you, that produces um chocolate um and and, and try it out there so this is fundamentally a thing we we do a lot and we also eat a lot of that i was about to say like this maps Going a bit back to programming maps nicely to like going to different countries, going to all the supermarkets, yeah, and just getting anything you can get your hands on and, yeah. and trying it out, yeah. And um, it's it's really cool. It's also because you have some sort of thing you can do. You can always look for chocolates. So a lot of stores we maybe we, we just end up in because we have a quick look if they may, might have a chocolate that we haven't tried yet. Um, and then also sometimes you do things like um, you um, you go to there sometimes manufacturers of specific chocolate they only do one bar and they have a small store in the city and then you go there and they usually also do coffee and and it was the same rigor so because coffee and chocolate oftentimes goes well together and so since we also like drinking coffee so that that also we go there we eat the chocolate we drink the coffee we are happy definitely goes well together <laughs> definitely um yeah awesome yeah that's the chocolate i think that about sums it up then for yeah. today yeah those were the things we are interested in. I mean, I guess we both have more on the list, but I feel this is a nice... Yeah, this is a nice chunk, and we can maybe get back to it at a, at a later point in time. Yeah. Um, but I think for now, this will do. Yeah. Also, um, this was a good episode because um, I'll be gone for two weeks now, and so when I'm back, they're stopped up. So you're going back to... <laughs> uh, back to Japan. <laughs> so Countervariance is the podcast that happens when I'm not in Japan. <laughs> I mean, we we did like do a small like setup check to see if we can do like remote recording, which we haven't done so until now. Yeah, um, and that worked okay. So who knows? Sure, but I will I will not almost I will not take almost any technical equipment to Japan. So. But but we could. Yeah, yeah. I, we could. That's true. That's true. So yeah, looking forward to discussing dub dub mm -hmm. uh, next time. Yeah. I we will try I guess to put links to what we talked about in this episode into the uh, list. I will maybe for people that are interested, I will add a couple of really fantastic high quality chocolates that my, they might get in their countries. That sounds good. Yeah. All right. And you will maybe 
whatever you can share about golf and about watches, maybe the watches that you have or watches that are really cool that people should look at. So look at the show notes, people. I'll see what I can do. Yeah. All right. I thanks would for say listening. Thanks for listening as well. And hope to see you next time as well, talking about WWDC. Um, all right. See you next time. See you next time. Bye. He- hear you next time. Yes. Hear you next time.